When the clients started coming back, I already had these strong practices of ebb and flow of understanding that there's going to be a tide that comes back and there's going to be a tide that goes away. And I get more filled up from the self-care work I do because I know it serves not just me, but also my clients. I used to live in Astoria, Oregon. That's where the mighty Columbia River meets the Pacific Ocean, the northwest corner of the state and the home of the tribes of the Chinookan people. Every day, I'd walk along the river several times and just watch the water flow. Because we were so close to the mouth, the river actually experienced considerable tides. Throughout the day, the height of the river might change anywhere from 6 to 10 feet. Not only did the level of the water change dramatically throughout the day, it would appear that the flow of the river reversed. When the tide was out, the river flowed as you would expect toward the ocean. When the tide was coming in, it looked like the river flowed backwards toward Portland. It was wild. Of course, under the surface of the rising tide, the Columbia River continued its journey toward the Pacific. The river never actually changed course, just the water on the very surface. Life and work can create a similar illusion. It can feel like half of the time we're moving forward and half of the time we're being pushed backwards by forces outside of our control. But under the surface, we're still growing, adapting, emerging. We're continuing our journey. I'm Tara McMullen, and this is What Works, the show that takes you behind the scenes to explore how small business owners build stronger businesses. When you're building a business, you'll inevitably experience ups and downs, ebbs and flows. When things are bad, it can feel like every success you've ever experienced is being washed away by failure. But of course, the truth is that we're always learning and moving forward. And as we continue our series on leading yourself and examining the practices that small business owners use to navigate this wild year, I'm thrilled to introduce you to coach and founder of the change agency, Valerie Black. I met Valerie at this time last year and was immediately struck by her mix of gentleness and tenacity. She is both strategic and intuitive, open-hearted and strong-willed. Not that any of those things are mutually exclusive, of course. Valerie has had a year of ebbs and flows, as she put it, and I wanted to capture her story and learn more about the self-care practices that saw her through this year. Now, let's find out what works for Valerie Black. Valerie Black, welcome to What Works. Thank you so much for joining me today. It's so great to be here, Tara. I am really excited about this conversation. I am excited for everyone to hear your story. And as always, I am excited to get inside your head because I love the way you think uh, and I love the way you process things. And I think it's going to be a real blessing for people who are listening to this episode. So um, kind of the way I've kicked off every interview in this series is to ask people to take me back to the beginning of the year. What were your plans um, and what were your goals? back in January. Yeah, I did some looking in my calendar even for this conversation because it's so, so many years have happened inside this year. And so many of my friends are saying that this has been just years worth of a lifetime. So I went back and I realized, okay, so end of 2019, I I was in like breakup land with some of my uh, recent relationships. I had gotten really sick at the end of November and I had been through this interesting process of trying to figure out if I wanted to work for someone else's company. I just finished my MBA um, in the summer, my executive MBA, and I was 
really trying to figure out like, do I relaunch the change agency or what do I do? And I, I went through this big clearing. That's why I mentioned the breakups and the um, sickness because I was like at this fallow ground where it was like, mm-hmm. you could plant anything. Um, and I started really sitting with, you know, uh, please, please, please use me well, which has kind of been my prayer since I went through my divorce a couple of years ago. And um, just really wanting the universe to use my skills and use my talents well. And these um, really clear pictures started coming in about what I wanted to create. And I was getting super excited about this new new like um, horizon line for the business. And, um, and I'd been doing a lot of work that I knew I wanted to keep doing. But um, I was getting this big vision of a community that I wanted to build. And it was this multi-tiered business plan. And it really started, the foundation of it was the one-on-one coaching that I was doing. And then I was going to build this community layer and this teaching layer in addition to the thought leadership that I was already doing in burnout and working with um, hospitals and clinics around supporting doctors and medical teams with their health. Um, so everything looked really exciting at the end of 2019, and I was super duper thrilled to start 2020. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We're laughing because then- we know how this goes. Oh, it was a terrible story. No, it's a great story. Yeah, Uh, it's just been a it's been a it's been a year. So, um, you know, (laughs) as you are alluding to, everything changed. uh, Came March and April. Uh, What happened with your business when uh, the shit hit the fan? What was happening in that first quarter was really exciting. Not only had I gotten all of the clients that I needed to hit my financial goals, but they were amazing clients. And I was having this sensation of like up-leveling. And the way I built the financial model was I'd have um, new clients every three months. So we we're ready to start the new quarter. I had some people signed up for um, the second quarter of the year, which was starting in April. And um then, of course, um, COVID happened. And so Saturday, March 7th was the time around when Seattle started going into quarantine. So that's where I live. And it was one of the first major cities, if you remember, that started mm-hmm. going down into lockdown. And by the first week of April, I had um, received many calls and emails canceling contracts. And I remember like one of those days that week, I lost $20,000 in revenue that was anticipated for that quarter. And this year of like blossoming and growth and emergence, it just completely crumbled. And, you know, there was that series of events where like then friends start getting laid off and um, my housemate needed to work from home. So all of a sudden this, this space that we had that we loved and would love sharing together turned into like, a very small cavern that neither of us could leave. And although we handled it really well, I was started waking up every morning, honestly, furious. Like, mm-hmm. like, why did you take this away from me? And, you know, like all of us trying not to take it too personally, because it's not personal, but also it feels personal. And um, just really, really struggling with this sense of like, uh, claustrophobia, and not being able to give my gifts, and my ego was just rocked because one of the things that gives me a sense of purpose and grounding is my work and being connected to people and getting to contribute to people and having that taken away 
it just felt like I just felt so bereft. Mm. I can certainly relate to uh, you said your ego was rocked. And I, I appreciate that you use also the word claustrophobia because that I think that's a very evocative uh, term that feels very relevant in the situation. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm, I would love for you to sort of give voice to what was going through your head. You've described sort of the emotion of it really well, mm -hmm. but what were some of the thoughts that you were having at that time? Yeah. Well, I'm also a metacognition geek, and that's a lot of the work that I do with my clients. And so I was, you know, I was watching myself. I've, I've had a meditation practice for over 20 years, and I was watching myself with that witness consciousness. And one of the things I was telling clients and friends, and we were telling each other, because I have an amazing reflective community that that contributes to me and helps me stay on my path, is that we were saying, you know, let let yourself have your grief, let yourself be bereft, let yourself be humbled. Um, it makes me a little verklempt talking about it today because um, I've had a recent humbling again, actually in the past week. Um, and there's this cut to the bone kind of feeling that um, that we have, right? And it's so it's so vitally important to stay with that because there's real wisdom there. And... Um, and I am not someone who typically goes to anger, but I was experiencing so much anger. Mm. And um, and I was also just aching for the people on the front lines. I have a lot of um, experience in healthcare. And I knew that this industry that was already experiencing really high levels of burnout was going to be just under siege, right? So um, my thinking was, how do I help? How do I figure out how I can use myself well. And also, honestly, Tara, how do I make sure I'm well-resourced? Because I'm a leader in my community mm -hmm. and I need to make sure that I'm doing my homework every day. And so I really boosted my self-care practices. My housemate and I have this wonderful saying that she came up with that I, I'm sure listeners will maybe have some feels about, but she said, any coping mechanism is a good coping mechanism. And so we had this rule around our house where if you eat chocolate chip cookies for lunch, it's okay. It's a good coping mechanism. If you need to stay in the bath for two hours, it's all right. And the she's a social worker and we have a shared deep understanding <laughs> of what it takes for people to cope and heal. And we knew that we would be in coping for a really, really long time. And so we tried to normalize that, which I'm still working on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I want to talk more about how you resourced yourself and some of those self-care practices. But first, there was something that you said about knowing that you needed to sit with, stick with, uh, be in the grief mm. and the humbling. And it made me think like how easy it is to sort of practice yeah. avoidance and to uh, not just, you know, use coping mechanisms, but to, you know, actively try and block those feelings or to escape from those feelings. And I'm curious how you avoid mm. avoiding. <laughs> I'm curious how you, you know, what is it that you are looking for or trying to lean into so that you don't avoid the discomfort when you need to sit with it? Yeah, that's such a good question. I want to humbly just say like this has been a two decade long practice for me. Um, 
Mm -hmm. And that this is, that avoidance is a very effective and important coping skill at times. Mm. One of the things I've really been working on in the past many years is facing my uh, fear and really examining it and holding it. And um, it's a part of my self-compassion practice. It's a part of my meditation practice. And there's this witness consciousness that I'm very, very interested in um, uh, strengthening because it is the resilience that helps us to see beyond our own small selves, right, into the bigger self. So pain is often the way in, is often a route in. Humbling is often a route in. It doesn't have to be, but man, I'll tell you, it's a hack. It's a big hack because what we're being given then is this opportunity to be stripped of the excess, stripped of the presentation stripped of this sense of like impressing others. And as a recovering perfectionist and an achiever, I have a lot of desire to be oriented toward those things. And um, so for me, this like, this is a big teacher I've been trying to sit at the feet of. And um, one of the ways that I do it is in my morning practice, I, I hold myself uh, tenderly, like I would, um, like a friend would hold me. And I'll give you a really concrete example. When I wake up, often I have really intense, anxious um, thoughts. They're like to do lists and ideas. And you got to, you know, there's like this very big, like energy. It's fiery. And I wake up fast and like bright and totally ready to go. There are benefits to that. And I've used a lot of those in my younger years, but now I'm realizing there's some punishing aspects of that. Um, and there's some urgency mm -hmm. that is um, not helpful. And the urgency is coming from this like voice in me that's a sort of tyrannical and um, is results oriented. And so I've been sitting with myself in the mornings and, and saying like, good morning, sweetheart hi, like I'm, I'm here with you. Good morning. And really listening to my um, thoughts and watching them go like a ticker tape across my mind and going, yeah, we're just going to watch like none of these you have to do right now. None of this, like we have to write down, we don't have to jump out of bed and figure it all out. And then if I have that sense of urgency, I'll start to just drop into a meditation or a, gr a gratitude practice. Gratitude is a really good route in for me where I'll start to say, Hey, what is one or two things like, and I'll, I'll put, touch them on my knuckles and be like, okay, for each knuckle on your fingers, you've got to figure out one little piece of gratitude. And I'll go through this little practice to pull myself into the day in a more, um, sort of process oriented, sweet way. And, um, it takes myself out of that <laughs> like urgent place. Mm. That's beautiful. Thank you for sharing <laughs> yeah. that. Uh, Okay, let's talk about coping mechanisms too. Yeah. <laughs> because I love this idea that every coping mechanism is a good coping yeah. mechanism. Um, what are your some of your favorite uh, like go-to coping mechanisms that maybe don't necessarily look healthy on the outside, mm. but are things that make you feel good and make you feel like, yeah, I'm I'm getting through this and it's going to be okay on the other side. Well, it would it was true about ten years ago that I was not someone who could sit on the couch. Um, I was just okay. not someone who could sit still. And um, 
just letting myself be physically like a lump (laughs) bump on a log kind of thing. (laughs) I can still hear my mother's voice in my head. Like, what are you doing today? What are you doing today? (laughs) Just allowing myself to physically be still and restful. Um, I know that doesn't sound very like outrageous, but it's a big deal for me. Um, and, uh, and not punishing myself while I'm sitting there and just being Mm -hmm. and letting myself read like, YA novels or, you know, just fun escapism, things that I cannot prove will serve the bottom line of my business or my life. <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah. Um, podcasts that are not about my business or my, or any, you know, like I love this American life. I love those like deep reporting mm-hmm. that are just interesting that I won't necessarily use or harvest in any way. Like things that are, um, you know, pointless are things I've been trying to let myself have. Um, Dance. I love dancing. And I've been trying to just let myself be, you know, more playful again, even though I don't feel playful this year. I haven't felt very playful. (laughs) I felt very serious. Um, And I think one more thing I was just thinking of is, um, you know, being in the kitchen with food and letting myself have this like very um, uh, succulent, sensual, pleasureful experience, like buying my favorite cheese and then my favorite bread and, and my favorite olives and the, like the expense of it that seems gratuitous, the like calories of it that seem gratuitous and sitting with it and being with it in a way that's like, oh, we're on a date, this baguette and I. <laughs> so <laughs> things like that, that, that really are, um, are pretty simple but uh, can can give you this depth if you let yourself have it. Mm. It seems like uh, a theme with all of those things is presence mm. as well. Like those are all the things, those are things that help you maybe drop into that moment instead of spiraling into, yeah. you know, unknown futures. Yeah. Yeah, I think yeah. you're absolutely right. Like my my proclivity is to go into future tripping and mm-hmm. catastrophizing. And I'm a planner and a strategist, and that's what I help other people do. So it's a very slippery slope, right? Because I can think that I'm doing uh, vital, important research and work on behalf of them and myself. And really, it's uh, it's future tripping and it's um, it's neurotic thought. And um, so a lot. You're right. A lot of my coping mechanisms come down to like slowing myself way down. Mm-hmm. And and this year, I've been really playing with the thought that um, a mutual friend and colleague of ours um, gave me, which is really about like speed is potentially causing more harm. And um, so how can I slow myself down to cause less harm both to myself and others? Yeah, I love that. Okay, let's get back to the business piece. I could talk about coping mm-hmm. mechanisms and, and, <laughs> and, and self-care all day, and we'll, we will definitely get back to that. But let's um, reorient in the year. So it's it's April. Your contracts have been canceled. Your coaching clients that you had lined up have gone away. What kind of action did you take then in quarter two and beyond to get things back on track and get you to a place where you felt like, all right, business is happening again. Yeah. I mean, I, this is the great frenetic scramble that we were all doing. I was really grateful to be a part of the network at the time and to be a part of our mastermind and for listeners, I'm talking about the masterminds that Tara runs and the, um, what works network and the, the, the really smart people who are in that network trying to figure out how do we do this well? How do we 
not be tone deaf? How do we share what we want to share? And um, God, we were all making it up, right? And so a few things that I can look back at now that I did, um, (laughs) I mean, one of them was I applied for some of those funds for businesses. Mm -hmm. I applied for unemployment and I applied for food stamps. And there were some really really hard days there. And, um, you know, you go, I went back to school to go get my MBA after this is my fifth business. And I am a very self-reliant person. And I never thought I would be looking at an empty bank account. And I was really freaked out. And, um, the food stamps moment was a particularly low moment. Um, and I just felt this deep humility and awareness of my own privilege that was just so like overwhelming. Um, you know, in addition to getting in touch with our community, I got in touch with my other communities and tried to find work. You know, I was talking to companies I'd worked for before and I was learning that all the budgets were frozen and that no one was hiring executives. So I wasn't able to go back into the workforce because everyone's budgets were frozen and nobody wanted executives right now. <laughs> you know, executive salaries were being cut, budgets were being cut and 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 no one was getting bonuses. So it was it was really apparent that um I was going to be doing some free work to serve my community, which I really wanted mm-hmm. to do, and I got to do some free workshops for different communities and that was awesome. And my prayer again came back to this like use me well, use me well. And I started looking really close in like at my community and at the people that I love and trying to figure out where where do people need support because the best thing for my mental health is to be helping others and that lifts me up and also makes me have to be more rigorous about my um, my practices for myself. And mm-hmm. when I looked around, I really saw, you know, my best friend was going through a divorce and she's got two little kids at home. And my family in Denver was, um, just struggling with, uh, little ones and a pregnancy and my mom being older and everyone was like doing pretty well, but they could really use some bolstering. So mm-hmm. I decided, um, I started thinking like, how do I get out there and how do I help them? And, you know, we weren't flying at the time. And, um, and I started (laughs) sort of hatching this wild plan, which I had no business hatching because I'd never done anything like this before. But, um, a couple of weird things came together. And one of them was, I learned that there were these rooftop tents and I knew that like, um, all of the campsites were closed still. But if I got this rooftop tent, I could just pull my car over and pop the top and sleep like, you know, on forestry service roads that were still open. And then I started thinking like, I can cook all my own food and I can do this like trek across the country and I don't have to contact anything except for gas stations. And so maybe I could drive from Seattle to Denver and then Denver to Chicago and I could enter people's bubbles safely, um, having quarantined on the road and, um, doing whatever additional quarantine that they wanted. And then I could show up for them and be the extra pair of hands they needed. I could take them on hikes. I could bring my blow up paddle boards in my car with me and I could take them out in the water and I could like help expand people's, um, possibilities. (laughs) So, um, ultimately that's what I did. And (laughs) it was amazing. And I, I was, it was amazing. There were so many 
anecdotes of that that were amazing. But I'll give you one quick one, which was I had no yeah. idea how to uh, like build a fire before this trip. Oh. <laughs> and one of my partners showed me how to build a fire and how to cook on the fire. And so as I camped across the country, I like, you know, rebuilt fires for myself and cooked for myself. And it was just this surge of um, self-reliance and new skill building and like opening up my horizons that I needed. And I mm. left and did a four-day drive across the country. And when I got to Denver, I had four new client contracts waiting for me in my inbox, people who were either coming back or who were ready to get back to work from a previous contract we had done or who had heard about me from a friend of a friend. And so by early June, I was back in business. That's amazing. It felt... You were so wonderful. It felt magical. <laughs> it felt like... Yeah. It felt like a reward for getting myself unstuck. It felt like a reward for looking up past my own grief to help other people with theirs. And it continued to just be this like unspooling of magic all summer long. And I was gone for almost three months. Amazing. You'll hear how Valerie's morning practice, along with other self-care rituals, helped her to navigate the ebbs and flows of the year. But first, a word from our What Works partners. What Works is brought to you by Mighty Networks. 2020 has taught us the value of connecting with people who share our values, our interests, or our goals, even from afar. We're all craving a sense of community and belonging. And since you're listening to What Works, I know there's something that you're passionate about that you can bring people together around. Maybe it's a goal of retiring at 45, or it's a minimalist lifestyle, or maybe it's creating more accessible neighborhoods. No matter what fuels you and your drive to bring people together, Mighty Networks can help. When you start a Mighty Network, you're creating a private, dedicated home for the people who care about what you care about to gather, trade notes, and lift each other up. Your Mighty Network can be a place where people learn, grow, and make new friends. Now, don't worry, you don't need to be a developer, a designer, or even an experienced community builder to make your Mighty Network work. Your new Mighty Network will guide you through the whole process and set you up for success. To get started, go to MightyNetworks.com. That's MightyNetworks.com. I also wanted to let you know that I've opened up a few openings for one-on-one -on -one coaching and strategy clients for next year. I've been helping experienced small business owners like you make their businesses stronger for over 10 years. That means we create plans that are ambitious and reasonable. We build systems that are effective and sustainable, and we plan for both growth and rest. And we address the underlying beliefs, assumptions, and habits that can become obstacles on the way to becoming a stronger CEO. If you're looking to shift your relationship to your business so you have a stronger foundation for growth or scale, if you're leveling up your business operations so it's easy to run while making you more money, or if you're stepping out in new ways with your thought leadership or signature process, I'd like to help. Together, we can work to rethink how you approach your work, the structure of your business, and the way you lead. We can put systems and processes into place that support how you want to interact with your business. We can identify blind spots and growth opportunities, find a sense of groundedness and support, and assess and improve the nuts and bolts of your business model, organizational structure, and finances. 
During six months together, we'll audit and assess your current business model, marketing strategy, operations, and financials. We'll meet for monthly 60-minute one-on-one coaching and strategy sessions. You'll mastermind with my other one-on-one coaching clients, and we'll work together via Slack so that you have unlimited access to feedback and support as you need it, as well as weekly priority check-ins and access to other business owners navigating similar experiences. Plus, we'll review your progress monthly to spot patterns and identify what's working, and we'll complete our coaching with a debrief of what you've worked through and what your next steps are for 2021 and beyond. To find out more about working with me in 2021, go to explorewhatworks.com slash Tara. That's explorewhatworks.com slash Tara. I, you know, a, a question that had not occurred to me earlier that now I'm really curious about is, so you you had such a reversal of fortune, obviously, you know, when lockdowns started and, and everyone panicked. Um, and this is another complete reversal of fortune. And just like thinking that, you know, you needed to, that you were, you were starting from square one in many ways, yeah. in many ways you were not, but I guess the question I'm trying to form in my head is around like how you managed yourself getting back to work. Because I, I would mm, think that you expended mm-hmm. a lot of energy coaching yourself, leading yourself through the downturn and the panic and the grief of that. Mm-hmm. And I think sometimes getting back to quote unquote normal, getting back to work in general is another need to expend energy that you may not have? I guess I'm, I'm, I'm yeah. curious how you how you worked through that. So there are a couple things that I think are in the background that I want to bring to the foreground, um, which are that I have a really strong and full morning practice that I do every day. And it includes um, kind of a menu of things I take from journaling, yoga, meditation, prayer affirmations. And it usually takes me between 90 minutes and two hours. And I am so lucky to have the time to do this practice. But I'll also say I've been cultivating this practice again for about 20 years. So I started teaching Mm -hmm. yoga and meditation 20 years ago. And it was really abundantly clear that if you don't have your own practice, you can't support other people's practices. And as 2020 was, as we were going from 2019 into 2020, I was making this really strong commitment to re-engaging my creative work and my creative practice in the morning. And I was calling it create AM in my calendar. And I was blocking this time to just be with my longings and my curiosities. And I took on a practice um, really rigorously, you know, before COVID hit for that practice in the morning, and it included um, Oracle and tarot cards and this observance of moon cycles. And Mm -hmm. it was an observance of the like ebbs and flows and the times of the day and the times of my own energy. And so I was really looking at like, when am I hyper-functional and when am I needing to be refilled and like watching the cycles. And um, so when the clients started coming back, I already had these strong practices of ebb and flow of understanding that there's going to be a tide that comes back and there's going to be a tide that goes away. And, and I'll also say that, and I teach this absolutely to a lot of my clients who are also coaches, which is I get more filled up 
from the self-care work I do because I know it serves not just me, but also my clients. And so it has this like double payoff that, that quite pleases the achiever in me, (laughs) you know, like if you can get a double bottom line return on your investment kind of thing. (laughs) So I'll admit to that being like a boost to all these practices. Right. Um, so when these, these clients came back, um, and some of them, you know, who had canceled their contracts came back in, some new ones came in and I decided to consolidate all my work days down to Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, so I could travel and, and serve the people I had, you know, in my family and friends who I'd planned on serving the other four days of the week. And, um, and I'm really, really lucky that I've created a practice or maybe the word luck, luck is not the right word. I have really particularly intentionally cultivated a practice where I get to work with people who I deeply admire and who are very talented. And so the work I do always fills me up. It doesn't mean that it's not tiring or strenuous. Um, but when I got to get back to work, I felt so grateful and that also Mm. filled me up. And I also didn't take more than I could handle. So I kept myself at a really diminished client load because I knew by then in June, which was still kind of early in our COVID understanding, but I knew by then personally that I needed to be very process oriented this year and not results oriented. So I pulled everything back to those morning practices and to my meditation practice. And I got really strict with myself in a loving way about how much I would need to do in order to be able to show up for other people. That is really remarkable. The idea that you know, I think our natural inclination when things go from bad or or empty to being mm. full or good again, it's like, well, you know, I better take advantage of this or I better yeah. bend over backwards <laughs> because who knows when my fortunes are going to swing the other way again. That's the natural inclination. That's that is typically how we respond in those situations. And so immediately when you said, well, I only was working Monday through Wednesday and I didn't take on more than I could handle. It's like, whoa, that is some serious serious restraint, mm-hmm. some serious self-knowledge, some serious boundary setting, and not something that comes naturally to most people. So I just wanted to kind of call that out. Yeah. I don't know if you have anything more to add I to that. I promise you but... it did not come naturally to me either. I promise you. <laughs> I um, In 2010, I built a school for coaches and I in certifying hundreds of coaches and then hundreds of healthcare practitioners in this methodology for how to use coaching in medicine, I got really rigorous with myself about what boundaries look like, um, what enough looks like. And in, if you're going to teach burnout and, uh, and not teach people how to be burnt out, but pe- teach people how to recover from burnout, you can't be faking it. You got to be really at the like, core of meaning and purpose and why we're here on this planet and what we can let ourselves get up to and what we can't. And it's, um, I've become, you know, I I was already spiritual, but I've become like deeply rooted in my spiritual practice in this way of like, um, the ego will tell me over and over again, Val, take on more, do more. Doesn't that look shiny over there? Go over there. And I'll have to stay in my roots and go, you know, but why? But what are we satisfying by by doing that? And believe me, I mean, Tara, I have bought so many courses this year and I have 
I mean, there are things, there are ways that I have let myself have access, things I can't actually deliver on or complete, but I've made sure that there aren't people on the other end that I'm going to hurt if I don't do that. And that is a Mm. practice of maturity. You're right. And a practice of mastery. But like, I let myself do stupid things like buy way too many books and way too many online courses that I'm never going to finish. And I just kind of know that that's how my desire to have more is going to express itself, <laughs> right? Because there, I have to have a little bit of a steam valve, <laughs> you know. Um, but I'm not going to do that with people, um, and I'm not going to do that with commitments. And that is because I've learned, you know, really by making lots of mistakes um, and by getting to be with people while they mend and repair the mistakes they've made in overcommitting and in. Um, not right-sizing their expectations of themselves or the systems that they participate in, because this is not something that we invented. This is a part of a sick system that we all buy into that says your productivity and your worth are connected. And that yeah. that's an illness I think we're all recovering from, and COVID has put it front and center for us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I love that you used the word uh, satisfy at one point. You you kind of you said, "What are we? What am I satisfying by chasing this thing or mm-hmm. chasing that thing?" And uh, just earlier this week, I listened to Jonathan Van Ness interview Adrian Marie Brown, uh, who oh, wrote yes. Emergent Strategy. Yes. Yeah, and it was a great conversation. And one of the questions that she posed in that conversation that's really stuck with me is. Uh, am I satisfiable? Mm. What is it? What does it look like uh, to me to be satisfied? Uh, can yeah. I be satisfied with my expect? You know, with the expectations that I have now, with the desire <laughs> that I have now. And oh, that question just bowled me over, and and you you echoing it bowls me over too. And I'm curious how you define satisfaction or enoughness for yourself? Because this is a question I find so challenging when it comes to my own practice and my own leadership. I love that you mentioned Adrian Marie Brown, because I was trying to figure out how much of my own like pleasure practices I wanted to bring in. And she's the Mm. author of Pleasure Activism. And Mm -hmm. there's this, this concept that I'm really interested in around that I've been courting for a while because a lot of my pleasure used to come from and satisfaction used to come from uh, achievement and especially achievement that was recognized externally. And um, I have really been trying to figure out who the hell I've been trying to please all that time. And um, my divorce was a major dismantling of my identity around looking good and doing it right. And um, there was a huge ego death that happened during that time. And I know I'm not unique in that, but divorce in our culture does that to people. And mm-hmm. I took the ride. I, I paid for the damn ticket and I took the ride and I, I did everything I could to really learn from that experience. And one of the things I found that was so rewarding is like pleasure is not waiting for me to like find it out there. It's really self-generated and, and 
in my meditation practice and in my yoga practice, in my stretch of my hamstring and my forward fold and my breath and the ways that the muscles start to shift and then that my body asks for me to sway to the right and then my rib cage wants me to rotate. Like that's a language that I spoke in my first several years of yoga practice as an achievement, as a shape, as a, a, a mm. thing to look good. And then I began to speak this internal language of what is it to be in this body? And what is it to have this particular flavor and taste? And, um, and it's not out there. Pleasure is, and joy is here. And the question I asked myself during my divorce, where a time when I was deeply depressed was, what does make me happy? And I was trying to figure it out. I was trying to rediscover it because I'd lost the pulse of it. And that is a question that I come back to over and over again as a like, is it this tea or is it this tea right now that makes me happy? Like, And even happy is like a trap because I think pleasure or sensation or presence that you pointed out earlier, the thing that I can be with now um, that's going to lead me back to myself in a way that's so much more powerful than an external result, but it's quieter. And that's the thing that's tricky. It's much less, it doesn't give you the same kind of like, it's not a fast drug. It's a slow drug, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and it's not going to give you this sense of like satisfaction, like a snap and a, a wand. It's going to give you this like current of slow burn. Yeah. That's beautiful. Um, okay, as we start to wrap up slowly, though, slowly, mm -hmm. we're gonna wrap up. <laughs> um, <laughs> you have a lot of options for moving forward from where you're at right now, which is a pretty amazing place. You have a lot of ideas for moving forward from here. How are you personally weighing the possibilities that are in front of you? I used to believe in this idea of a calling that was um, like, both external and internal, but it was like, it happened and you sort of like answered the call. I first went into my like first profession when I was 10 and I felt this really powerful call to be an actress. Um, my sense now is this sense of like, where does my good skillfulness meet the needs of the world? And I'm, I'm currently deep in that inquiry and, and one of the things that keeps coming up over and over again is um, my skills for facilitation, my skills for coaching coaches, my skills for being um, in this process, this creative process of like generation and birth and birthing and um, and how the metaphors even are changing. Like I love business. I'm fascinated by business models, but the businesses that I'm really intrigued by now are more feminine um, in their design, like sort of sacred feminine in their design. They're, they're cyclical. They're not, they're not the metaphors of, of war and conquering and hierarchy. They're the metaphors of circles and birthing and cycles. So how do I take all those abstract things and my experience with business and my love of supporting people and pull it into a new form? And to be concrete about it, I'm thinking again, like I was at the end of year last year, that it's probably a community that it's mm -hmm. probably helping other thought leaders and other teachers and coaches bring their voices to the world. I do believe, even when it sounds woo in my own head, that we are at a turning point in our society and that we are like, that the world is begging for the people who can build a new future to come forward. And I'm testing my own strength to see 
Can I be rigorously honest with people and tell them what I'm about and bring that voice forward? And I'm scared too. And I also keep thinking of that Anais Nin quote, which is that, you know, as your courage expands, your life expands, your world expands. And I keep trying to figure out how do I keep leaning toward that? You know, little things like a newsletter that I'm finally going to get out. I want to share about how I made my book on Patreon and teach Mm -hmm. people, you know, how that process went and be really honest about the ways that it was like small and unsuccessful and also expansive and beautiful and deeply creative and nurturing. Like I want to get really real with people this next year and continue because I don't feel like my clients would ever say that I'm not really real with them, but, um, (laughs) but it's layered. Right. And it's that onion of like even more truth. Mm. Valerie, what are you excited about right now? <laughs> I, you know, I'm excited about getting that darn newsletter like in a real form where it's going yeah. out every week. And I've decided the name of it is uh, Fierce and Tender for those Ooh. who want to heal the world. I love it. Because that's how I've been feeling is this ferocity and this fire and also this like water and tenderness and sweetness. And I think we need both mm-hmm. as we're going to go out and and make this better. Absolutely. Valerie Black, thank you so much for sharing your reflections on this last year and your coping mechanisms and your self-care practices and just everything that's going on inside of your head. I really, really appreciate it. And I know our listeners do too. Thanks so much. It was a real pleasure. There's a psychological phenomenon called the end of history illusion. It describes our tendency to underestimate how much our circumstances can and will change in the future even though we can look back and see how much things have changed in the past. I try to remind myself of this anytime I'm feeling stuck or stagnant. I think about how much I've grown in the last 12 years since I became a business owner and remind myself that if I just repeat that same kind of growth over the next 12 years, I'll be in an extraordinary place by the time I'm 50. Things have changed before and they'll change again. I'm creating that growth every single day even if I can't perceive it in the moment. What I love about Valerie's story is how she doesn't seem to suffer this end of history illusion. Her witness consciousness helps her see that for every time the tide flows out, it will come back in again. With that in mind, she can lead herself through every ebb and flow. Find out more about Valerie Black at ValerieEBlack.com. Next week, you'll hear from Alethea Fitzpatrick, the founder of Co-Creating Inclusion. It's a check-in of sorts. I interviewed Alethea last year as she made the move from consultant to consultant C. And this conversation documents how she navigated personal challenges and major professional and business growth over the course of 2020. Now, if you want to take an intentional and gentle look back at this year with me, find me on Instagram, where I'm sharing a reflection question every day of December and leading a conversation about what worked, what didn't work, and how we've grown over the course of this unusual year. Find me at Tara underscore McMullen. What Works is produced by Yellow House Media. Our production coordinator is Sean McMullen. This episode was edited by Marty Seafelt. Our production assistants are Kristen Runvik and Lou Glazer. Find more episodes of What Works at explorewhatworks.com. <laughs>